This is Finding Center, a daily half hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Faithful Optimism. T. Jeffrey Wilkes, professor in the BYU School of Accountancy when this devotional address was given, will share his remarks entitled Optimism and Joy in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I've imagined for the last two months what this would feel like, and it doesn't begin to compare. I stand before you in amazement and awe at who you are. I can't help but look at you and think of the days that I was here as a student at BYU. In fact, it was 20 years ago this month that I first met my dear sweetheart, Melinda. I'd been home off my mission for about four months, and I was attending my new BYU ward for the very first time. And as I went to the sacrament meeting, I looked up at the the person leading the music, as I should, right? And she was the most beautiful young woman I had ever seen. That evening, I saw her again at ward prayer, but I was way too scared to go up and introduce myself to her. Fortunately, Heavenly Father took care of that little detail by inspiring our bishop to assign us to the same family home evening group. They announced the new groups just that very evening. We flirted for a few months before we finally started dating, and we were married the following June. Every significant blessing that has come into my life since that time I have shared with my best friend and eternal companion. I love every moment we get to spend together, and there are never enough of those moments. While I know many of you are hoping for a similar experience sometime this year, or maybe in the next few years— In fact, the beginning of a new semester or new school year is filled with all kinds of hope and excitement for many different reasons. But sadly, by the time we get to the end of the semester, final projects, final exams, a lot of that hope has just plain vanished. I still remember the nightmare I used to have at the end of each semester in which I dreamed I had forgotten to attend one of my classes for the entire semester. It was horrible. Funny enough, I had the same dream when I became a professor, except I dreamed that I had completely forgotten to teach a class for the entire semester. (laughs) And I just knew I was going to be fired. (laughs) What is it that happens between the beginning and the end of a semester that drains us of our hope and excitement? Why is it so hard sometimes to be positive and upbeat? Well, I don't know all the answers to this, to be sure, but I was accused at a very young age of being too positive too upbeat, and even naive sometimes about life. I can't remember exactly when those accusations began, but when I was 16 years old, an inspired patriarch placed his hands on my head and said the following, Jeffrey, this is a good world. You will be positive in your thinking. You will think positively. You will speak positively. You will act positively. With all the negativism in the world today, you will sort it out, and you will be happy because you will do the things which are pleasant and worthwhile. I have seen this blessing come true countless times in my life, and I can testify that this world is a good world. There is so much to be happy about in this world. And when we fail to see the world, the wonder, the joy, when we refuse to see the hope and the light everywhere around us, we are not seeing the world as it truly is. We are not seeing the world as Heavenly Father sees it. I have to tell you something that happened when I was writing this very thought last Tuesday afternoon. I needed a break, so I stood up from my desk on the fifth floor in the Tanner Building. 
As I was looking out the window, there's a perfect view of the walkway that goes up from Helaman Halls all the way up to the Tanner Building. I saw a young man in a wheelchair who was wheeling himself up on his own. Just as I started thinking about how tough that would be, I saw another young man just ahead of him on the walkway turn around and notice the young man in the wheelchair. I don't know if they knew each other or were complete strangers, but immediately that young man turned around and walked behind the wheelchair and pushed that young man up the rest of the long walkway. In fact, he practically ran up the entire way. It was hard to follow them all the way up that walkway. This simple moment, 1.30 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon, witnessed again to me how much light and goodness there are everywhere around us if we'll just take the time to look for it. So today, I want to share with you five lessons that I have learned in my life about being positive in a world that's filled with negativism. Each of these lessons is based on experiences I have had as a husband and a father. Now, I'm fully aware that Elder Stephen E. Snow spoke from this pulpit just two weeks ago about optimism. But as much as I tried to think of a different topic to speak on, I kept coming back to this topic. So I can only trust that Heavenly Father thinks we could use a double dose on this particular topic, and sometimes maybe a bit more. The first lesson about being positive in a negative world is that righteousness does not mean perfection. A humorous experience happened when our family was younger. I say humorous. It wasn't so humorous then, but it is now. Uh, When my oldest daughter, Ashton, was almost 10 years old, we were camping at Palisade State Park down near Manti, Utah. My kids were pretty young then, so they weren't a whole lot of help setting up tents at the time, especially the tent we had. It had those flexible fiberglass poles that you have to shove into the sleeves and then do your best to try to raise up, and it was a pretty big tent. Well, while my wife was unloading her vehicle and setting up the rest of camp, I was struggling to get the tent off the ground by myself. Then suddenly, with one of those pushes on the poles, I snapped the pole. I'm ashamed to admit that at that moment I let slip from my lips a rather colorful word that I dare not repeat here. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't a horrible word, but my daughter clearly recognized it to be a swear word. I continued on in my battle to get the tent off the ground and eventually succeeded with some duct tape, and I don't remember what else it was that got it up. But unbeknownst to me, at the time, there was a conversation that went on between my wife and my daughter. Melinda later told me that my daughter approached her with a troubled look on her face and said, Mommy, I thought Daddy was perfect. (laughs) My immediate reaction was to feel horribly ashamed that I had crushed that perception that she had. Of course, my second reaction was to think, wow, I managed to get my daughter to almost 10 years old thinking I was perfect. (laughs) But all humor aside, I felt pretty bad for what I'd done. And then came the teaching moment. My dear wife said simply to my daughter, Daddy is not perfect, but he is righteous. It was one of those moments I was profoundly reminded that I had married an angel. Who else could have come up with such a simple teaching in that moment? Perfection can sometimes be the enemy of righteousness. When we get so caught up worrying about being perfect, about being a perfect spouse, a perfect son or a daughter, a perfect parent, a perfect teacher, or perfect friend, it's easy to become discouraged because none of us will ever be perfect in this life. Even though our Savior commanded us to be perfect like Him and our Heavenly Father, 
He has no expectation that we're going to accomplish that in this life. It's impossible. Remember, he taught Moroni that he gives unto us weaknesses that we can be humble. And if we humble ourselves, his grace is sufficient to make those weaknesses become strengths, but not perfections. The second lesson about being positive in a negative world is that life really is hard sometimes, and you've got to keep trying anyway. My son Tanner taught me this one day when he was eight years old. Tanner had decided to switch from skiing to snowboarding that year, and it was his first day on the slopes. Now, those of you who have snowboarded know that the first day is typically horrible and painful. In fact, most instructors say that you can't make a decision about whether you like snowboarding until you've gone at least three times because you still hate it and you're in pain after the first two days. I still haven't tried snowboarding, and I tell my kids I never will unless I get to rent one of those sumo costumes, those big, huge padded costumes you wrestle in. That, with that, maybe I'd do it, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> well, Tanner's first day on a snowboard proved to be like most first days, very painful and frustrating. I couldn't show you the video of it, just the picture. Uh, initially, he started down the mountain with his older brother, who knew how to snowboard, but every two or three feet, Tanner would fall down, either catching a toe and landing on his stomach or sliding too much on his heels and landing on his rear end. He was crying and yelling the entire way down the mountain. He got to the point where he didn't even want to stand up again. Instead, he just slid down the mountain on his bum. <laughs> After what seemed like two hours getting down the mountain, he finally arrived, and he was exhausted physically and mentally. He was in pain, and he was very tired. I was tired of dealing with a cranky son, too. Fortunately, we were staying in a lodge close to the base of the resort, so we decided to take a break. I figured Tanner was done for the day, so after a good lunch and sitting around for a bit, I was surprised when Tanner said, I want to go again. I asked him whether he remembered the morning, <laughs> but he said he wanted to try again anyway. I don't know what happened, but that afternoon his attitude was completely different. He kept getting up every time he fell, and by the end of the day he could butter down the hill pretty well. And today he can carve a line down any hill his older brothers can ride. Well, life sometimes really is hard, and all we can do is get back up. Get back up on that snowboard, even though we know perfectly well how easily that snowboard can slide right out from under us. Some of you know what it's like to struggle with addictions, and getting back up after falling off those particular snowboards can be very frustrating. You may wonder if you will ever be able to overcome that addiction. And when you feel this frustration, the physical and mental anguish from trying and failing and trying again, please remember this wonderful counsel found in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 123. Therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for His arm to be revealed. When you're sitting there wondering whether you can stand back up again, Remember that sometimes the test is not about overcoming, but about whether we will keep trying no matter how hard things seem to be. Never give up. Do all things cheerfully that lie in your power, and then stand with the assurance that God will help you. The third lesson about being positive in a negative world is to keep your eyes on Heavenly Father. When my youngest daughter Malia was nearly two years old, she was playing in the cultural hall of our church in New Canaan, Connecticut. You know those doors that are under the stage where we store all the chairs and the tables? Well, Malia was playing with those doors and accidentally closed both doors at the same time really hard. 
with her thumb between them. She just cried and cried, our sweet little girl. When she finally settled down, we noticed that her thumb seemed to be stuck. And after visiting the emergency room and then a hand specialist a week later, we learned that Malia had what is called congenital trigger thumb, where the tendon that flexes the thumb is stuck in its sheath, holding the thumb in a bent position. We waited a few weeks at the doctor's recommendation to see if it might heal itself on its own. But when that didn't happen, we scheduled time for a surgery. Early that morning at the hospital, our little girl, who normally bounces off walls, wrestles with her older brothers, and generally causes havoc wherever she goes, (laughs) was pretty subdued. We dressed her in the cutest yellow hospital clothes they had and found some fluffy red socks to keep her feet warm. Then the nurse took us down to a closet where Malia chose a cute, pillow-soft teddy bear that she could take with her into the surgery prep room. Then I put on some scrubs, and we said goodbye to Melinda, and I carried my sweet little girl down the hall to the prep room with her arms tightly around my neck. I was pretty worried that she might not let go, that she would be scared to go into surgery. But when we arrived in the room, I gave her a big hug and then gently laid her down on the table onto a nice warm blanket. The nurse put another warm blanket over Malia while I talked to her. I kept her calm and placed her little teddy bear under her arms, which she snuggled closely. I looked at her right in the eyes, and she looked at me while I explained that the doctor was going to put a mask over her face and that she was going to fall asleep. While holding my hand and looking into my eyes, she watched the doctor place the mask over her mouth and nose. Shortly after, I whispered to her that I loved her, and I watched her little lips inside the mask speak the words, I love you too. Then her little lips started to quiver, and she closed her eyes to sleep. My sweet little girl, who bounces off of walls, had calmly gone into surgery, listening to my voice and looking into my eyes deeply. It was one of the most sacred experiences of my entire life. From this and many other experiences as a father and as a bishop, I have learned how deeply Heavenly Father loves each one of us. He is always this nearby when we're going through tough times. But it's up to us whether we will look into his eyes and listen to his voice. We look into his eyes and we listen to his voice when we immerse ourselves in the scriptures and we converse with him in meaningful daily prayer. I testify to you that by keeping your focus on him and listening to his voice, we will see the goodness and wonder that surrounds us even in the most difficult circumstances. The fourth lesson about being positive in a negative world is that Heavenly Father's approval is the only approval that matters. I was reminded of this lesson this past spring when I took my boys to a practice facility called Snowgression. It's an indoor practice facility for skiers and snowboarders in Salt Lake City. It has trampolines everywhere, a massive foam pit, so skiers and snowboarders can practice their tricks without having to worry about landing things perfectly. The coolest feature of this practice facility is a practice ramp. A person stands up at the top, They hold onto a bar, and when they're ready, they click a button, and it pulls them down the ramp, accelerating them into the jump so they can go flying out into the foam pit. This foam pit is pretty huge, too. It's like 50 by 50 feet. It's an enormous place. You're not going to get hurt. You'll have a hard time getting out of it, though. It's it's really deep. Dallin, my 13-year-old son, was the most excited to go to this facility. He wants to be a professional free skier someday, and he could probably spend every single day at Snowgression and never get bored. But on this first day, he was a little bit timid, a little bit cautious. He'd probably be the first to tell you that he was worried about looking foolish to other kids that were there. 
That matters a lot to him on the mountain and in the practice facility. Their approval mattered. As a result, he hadn't tried anything too difficult up to that point. But then on the last chance of the day, we knew it was going to be his last chance, I yelled up to him from the foam pit where I was on filming duty that he should try a backflip. Now, I knew he could do a backflip because I'd seen him do that and many more difficult things on our own trampoline. But I wasn't sure he'd have enough courage to do it with so many other people watching him. Well, watch and listen carefully to this video clip to see what happened next. What you see here is Dallin jumping up and down, trying his best to relax and loosen up. Then he grabbed the bar and hit the button. But like I said, it's hard to get out, okay? <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes. Everyone there was cheering with excitement, and no one louder than me. Dallin could have just floated out of that foam pit, but he did have to climb out of it. But he was on cloud nine for the rest of that day. Why do we care so much about the approval of others? Why do we aspire to the honors of men and forget that Heavenly Father's approval is all that matters in the end? When we allow our decisions to be influenced by the approval of others, we put ourselves at the mercy of fickle mobs, ever-changing fashions, and the devil's whirlwinds. If instead we seek our Heavenly Father's approval only, we build our foundation upon a rock that cannot be moved. And I can think of nothing that will bring us more stability and optimism than building upon the foundation the rock of our Redeemer. When we got home from that trip, we do what we do with all of our videos. We watched them. We watched it in forward. We watched it in backwards. We watched it in fast and slow motion. And we listened to it. And it was then that I realized what a nut I had been after Dallin did that flip. I was kind of embarrassed at first. But later I thought, this has to be how Heavenly Father feels when we stop worrying about what others think of us and try to use the talents that he's given us. I think he is just as excited in celebrating our accomplishments as I was with Dallin's jump. I testify to you that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are our greatest cheerleaders and fan section. And we will feel more joy and hope in this world when we do our best to seek their approval. The last lesson about being positive in a negative world is that we must look for and remember the joy in our lives. When was the last time you felt true joy? How long ago was it? Do you remember the details of that moment? And do you think of it often? As my final story today, I want to tell you about a time this summer when I felt true joy brimming over, impossible to contain. My son Tate is 15 years old, and he practices piano about three to four hours per day on school days and closer to six hours per day during the summer. This past spring, he set a goal to play with the Utah Symphony in their Salute to Youth concert, which is held each fall. It's a statewide competition that draws some of the best young pianists each year. He spent countless hours practicing to refine a 15-minute Chopin concerto, and he eventually submitted his best recording to the judges in late June in hopes that he would be selected to play in the final round of the competition later that summer. The finalists were to be announced on the morning of July 20th, which just happened to be the day that our youth would be pulling handcarts up Rocky Ridge in Wyoming. 
Well, time went by slowly, it seemed, and we prayed as a family every day that Tate would be able to make it into the final round of that competition. Eventually, the youth track began, and Tate seemed to forget the impending announcement amidst the excitement of pulling a handcart in 95-degree weather in Wyoming, and crossing rivers, square dancing, and singing songs with his handcart brothers at the top of their lungs. <laughs> On that Friday morning, soon after we sent out our handcart company toward Rocky Ridge, I received an unexpected text message from Melinda out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. Tate had been selected to play in that final round of the competition. I couldn't wipe the smile off of my face, and I couldn't prevent the tears that came with them. That has to be one of the greatest emotions in the world, tears and smiling at the same time. I still remember the sweetness of how that moment felt and how I couldn't wait until noon when I would be able to tell Tate personally Here's what I recorded in my Pioneer Journal that evening about the events of that day. Because I was taking lunches to the Trekkers today, I got to catch up to Tate after he hiked Rocky Ridge. He looked so good coming into the break area, so strong and pure. After he'd eaten lunch, I asked him to come talk with me. I walked with him just a little ways away from everyone so we could be alone, and I asked him if he was ready to hear the decision. He looked very concerned, and he said he wasn't sure he wanted to know because he didn't want to ruin the rest of his trek. I just looked him in the eye, and I said, you won't be disappointed. His look registered complete disbelief at what he'd just heard, so I clarified, Tate, you get to play in the final round of the competition. His face was an expression of pure joy, and he couldn't contain it. He reached out to me and hugged me like he'd never hugged me before. He was in tears with joy. He even picked me up and swung me around. He was so excited. <laughs> he walked off a little ways and just looked over the plains. He had these big sunglasses on. It was just tears coming down. He was so adorable to watch with his friends as they found out. Tate just kept smiling and crying. I experienced true joy for those precious minutes. And that was the end of my journal entry. All of the stories I have shared with you today came from my personal journal. I have learned by my own experience that I feel greater joy and optimism in my life when I am keeping a daily journal. Now, I know that keeping a journal is an overwhelming challenge for most people. As one of my friends told me, he doesn't like keeping a journal because he, he writes too much about each day, and that ends up taking too long and then he eventually stops again. Yes, you know what I mean. So, so I have a recommendation for you to help you with this fifth and final lesson. In October 2007, President Henry B. Eyring told of how he kept a journal for years by asking himself a single question every day. He said, quote, I wrote down a few lines every day for years. I never missed a day no matter how tired I was or how early I would have to start the next day. Before I would write, I would ponder this question. Have I seen the hand of God reaching out to touch us or our children or our family today? As I kept at it, something began to happen. As I would cast my mind over the day, I would see evidence of what God had done for one of us that I had not recognized in the busy moments of the day. As that happened, and it happened often, I realized that trying to remember had allowed God to show me what He had done." End quote. This final lesson is perhaps the most important lesson of them all. To look for joy in our lives 
We need only look for the way in which God's hand has touched us or our family or our friends that day. Sometimes he touches us through tender mercies. Other times he touches us with wonderful humor. And frequently we see his hand in our lives by the way in which he prompts us to serve someone else that day, to lift them, those who are struggling. We don't have to write lengthy, mundane journal entries about our days. Instead, we can simply write one or two lines in which we identify the hand of God in our lives that day. As we do this, we will see more clearly how blessed our lives really are. We will be filled with gratitude and optimism. We will see the world like our Heavenly Father sees the world. We will see the world as it really is and be filled with joy and hope. I testify to you that this world is a good world and that Heavenly Father sees it that way. He is a God of hope, of joy, of excitement, of enthusiasm, of optimism. With all the negativism in the world, we can sort it out and see the world as Heavenly Father sees it. Let us not confuse righteousness with perfection. Let us get back up every time we fall. Let us keep our focus on Heavenly Father and listen to His voice. Let us seek His approval and not the approval of the world. And let us look for and remember the joy and the touch of God's hand in our lives every day. After all, the gospel is good news. The Savior has overcome the world, and He has prepared the way for us to do the same. May we feel the optimism and joy of His gospel every day of our lives, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Faithful Optimism. T. Jeffrey Wilkes gave his talk entitled Optimism and Joy in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.